This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. So if somebody's out there, if they're, you know, maybe in their early 20s, you know, suck it up and take six months and don't make any money <laughs> and go actually work for free. And, uh, you know, if I could go in a time machine, man, <laughs> things would be a whole lot different. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's going on, everyone? This is Jonathan Farber, your host of the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. I hope you're all well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thanks for being here. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little background on myself, I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight rental units and looking to add more this spring. I have house hacked, bird, flipped, and done short-term rentals to name a few strategies. My current focus is 20 to 30 unit apartment buildings in Ohio and Kentucky. I love to network and learn. So if you'd like to connect further, feel free to find me on LinkedIn, Facebook, or BiggerPockets. Today, we have another awesome guest, Seth Ferguson. Uh, Seth lives in Ontario, Canada, and we first connected on YouTube where I was looking for questions to, I was looking for answers rather to a couple questions I was struck or struggling with. Uh, for my own investing. And he has an awesome YouTube channel that outlines everything that you'd want to know as a multifamily real estate investor. And the other thing I liked is that he will answer your questions in the comments if you have any. So first connected with him there, set up a call, and then just really hit it off and learn more about his story. He's got a really awesome background that he was a professional hockey referee actually before getting into real estate which we talk about in his background and his entry into uh, this world and then what he did from there. So a little more background on Seth. He's a 12-year real estate veteran. He's the host of a cable TV show called Real Estate Simplified and Purchase to Profits, a real estate investing podcast, which he hosts. And he's a real estate author and speaker. He now controls about 50 million in assets today as a general partner on a real estate syndication. And as we've talked about on the show before, what that means is that he sources deals, meaning he finds deals and then he finds investors to put money into those deals. And he is uh, the manager and he puts his own money into the deal sometimes, but the general partner is typically the person who puts the deal together, raises the money and then executes the business plan. So that's what he does on a day-to-day -day basis. But he's really got uh, an awesome outlook on social media and digital that uh, a lot of the other players I haven't seen. So that was something else we get into a little bit in the episode today. Uh, the things that stood out to me today from the episode were around scaling and branding, social media, and the ultimate point of this episode has to do with legal process and contracts that you want to have for any deal that you do, uh, at least consulting with an attorney or a lawyer. And he goes through a story that he went through and experienced that, that got him where he is today, but it's a challenge that he's still dealing with as far as um, a partner he had and what that did to his business from a negative impact when, when they decided to split up. So very interesting there. Today's quick tip is always get a second opinion on a loan that you are trying to get on your property. Meaning if you talk to one lender, what they say is not the end all be all. If you speak to a credit union, a small bank, a mortgage broker, they will give you different information. I understand it can sometimes be a little confusing, but when I first started, I just assumed that if one bank tells you something that you can only do, let's say 
25% down at X rate, that was what all the banks were going to offer. But what I found as I talked to more and more banks and lenders is that they all have different guidelines and based on what type of size bank they are or what state they're in, it'll be a different set of requirements or standards. So my advice and my the quick tip for today is speak to as many banks and lenders as you need to feel comfortable and get a couple opinions. Uh, anytime I do a loan now, I typically speak to at minimum three to five banks or lenders. And the way that I find them, I guess this is kind of a quick tip A and B is I find them from bigger pockets, uh, Google referrals, people that I know are investing in those areas. I'll just post in Facebook or bigger pockets saying, Hey, looking for a lender in this state or this area, this type of loan, and I'll see what happens. And then I'll cross check if they have reviews online and then I'll start calling and then I'll just put all their, their name and information into a spreadsheet, track the notes and see what type of rates and offerings they have. So that was today's quick tip. Make sure you're speaking to uh, a couple, a minimum, lenders anytime you're doing a real estate transaction because the information is different every time. So that was today's quick tip. Without any further ado, let's get into an awesome episode today with Seth Ferguson. Seth, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, get this one kicked off, especially because of what you've been doing on YouTube and LinkedIn the last couple months where I've been following pretty closely. And I think I first got connected with your content via YouTube actually. And we'll get into that, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I, I was just excited. And we'll, we'll jump into that today about how that all started and what it's done for your business. But for those that don't know, you mind just giving a quick background on who you are, how you got into real estate and what you do today? For sure. Uh, so I, I got started in real estate um, in a roundabout way as I was trying to chase my dream to becoming an NHL referee. So I, I was refereeing some uh, professional and major junior hockey at the time. And I needed a real job because I saw these guys who were like 35 and they still didn't have a real job. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe it's time that I actually get started. So I got my real estate license and started selling residential properties. And then I got my broker's license. Um, and I did that for a good period of time. And I was making what most people would consider really good money. Then I realized that I wasn't really building anything. All this money was coming in, going towards my expenses. Like I, I had a nice house, I had nice cars, I had waterfalls going into the pool, but it wasn't, I wasn't building anything. It was just money in, money out. And it, it was just a never ending cycle. So then I started acquiring some residential properties. And then I realized that I was investing in the wrong type of asset. Uh, scaling to the to the point where I needed to scale wasn't possible through uh, single family residential homes. Uh, so then I realized that, oh, well, multifamily is where I should be. So and that's uh, what I'm doing right now. Okay, awesome. Um, I feel like I have a real estate related question off that, but I need to pause on the referee route for a sec. Yeah, what is that life like on the day to day coming up? I've never talked to anyone that's pursued that. Oh, it I, I loved it. So I, uh, for, for one year, uh, like I, I'm Canadian, if nobody can tell from my Canadian <laughs> accent, it usually gives me away. But uh, for, for one season, I lived in uh, Minneapolis. Uh, they gave you a townhouse, uh, but you were never there. So I was on the road almost all the time. I spent most of my time in St. Louis traveling all around East Coast, West Coast, North, South. Uh, so I, I was driving a lot, flying a lot. But it was nice. Like you go to the gym, you do your workout, you drive maybe six hours, <laughs> you do the hockey game, you drive another two hours, get the hotel, drive to the next city. Uh, so you're working maybe three, four games a week 
And uh, as a young single guy, you have a lot of fun. So it, it was a really good time. Totally makes total sense. Yeah. You mentioned something that I have found in my real estate journey and experience that slow and steady with single family homes is not necessarily the route to take if you really do want the goal of let's say financial freedom and let's say less than a five to 10 year period. I do hear that approach a lot. I'm sure you do too of people that say, okay, I just want to buy. And it's a good goal of one single family home a year. And then they do the math and realize that it would be pretty hard to retire or be financially free on one single family home a year or in the residential space. So I'm curious for you, was there a specific reason or moment that you realized that it wasn't going to be possible to hit your goals with that residential route or single family home route? Yeah, I, I think before I go to answer that question, what you're describing is the difference between an amateur and a professional. Or, you know, sometimes I call it a retail investor and a professional investor. It's just like anything. You can have amateur tennis players and professional tennis players. They will both go about it. They're still playing tennis, but they're just doing it differently. So that, that's one of the analogies I like to make. Uh, but in terms of what shifted my paradigm is uh, actually it was my son being born. Uh, I, I'm not sure. Do you have kids? I don't have kids yet. No. Okay. Well, not that you know of, right? So, um, so uh, for, for me, you know, when I held my son for the first time and I, I'm sure anybody who has kids had a similar experience. So you hold your son for the first time, you look down at him and your life changes in a blink of an eye. And, uh, I just had this, it was, it was like flipping a switch and I knew I needed to do more, be better because before I, I was doing it for myself, but now everything I do is for my son. So I think that's a really powerful shift. And that just made me think bigger because at the end of the day, you know, everybody's had their own experiences with their parents or somebody important in their life. And I, I find a lot of parents will tell their children one thing, but then their actions do almost the exact opposite. You know, oh, you should go, you know, chase your dream. Meanwhile, their parents are working their nine to five job. They haven't really done anything outside the box, but then they're trying to tell their kids to do something different. For, for me, as I was holding my son, it was, I, I want to be able to show him leading by example, what's possible if you think big enough, if you just decide to do it. Uh, so that way I'm not that armchair quarterback who's a hypocrite, <laughs> you know, just, just sitting back and uh, playing things safe. So that, that's how I got into multifamily. And I realized I, I worked out the numbers I would have to own a thousand houses for me to hit my real estate goal, a thousand houses. Uh, and I can't imagine owning a thousand houses that I would just be too crazy. Can you imagine a thousand tax bills? No. So I, it just, it did not work out. And then with the financing, you know, uh, being in Canada, our lending is a lot tighter than it is in the U S. Uh, so it just, the residential space wasn't conducive to me scaling a portfolio as big as I needed it to be. Got it. So before you jumped into the multifamily space, how many single units did you have or acquire? Uh, we, we had, I had about 3 million worth of real estate. Oh, wow. Um, but you have to, you have to take it with a grain of salt because everybody's the property values vary so much. So I was in, in the Toronto area, which has in Canada, the second highest house prices in the country. So Vancouver is number one. Uh, so, you know, uh, 
in, in some markets, a $50,000 house is a big house. But for me, you know, a $500,000 house was a like an average house. So you have to really, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Got it. Yeah, it's funny. I think about it in the way that in Long Island, where I'm from, a single family home could be one to $2 million. But if you go to the Midwest of the United States, you can buy 40 or 60 units for a million to $2 million. So yeah. very different thinking and different like size and scope in your head. But I just, I want to answer this for any listeners that are maybe asking or thinking as they hear that number of 3 million or acquiring single family homes and building that up is how are you putting those deals together? How are you finding them? How are you financing them? What types of properties were they? Because the goal of this show, this is definitely, I would say more of a beginner show, maybe your one to 10 deal starter. So just like to jump into those questions for anyone that's wondering, okay, I see the end goal of where he ended up in multifamily and even acquiring a lot of single families, but really pulling back the layers of how. So I'd love to hear that from you. Sure. Okay. Well, well, first let's talk about my mindset going into it because it might, mine might be different than somebody else's. So on one side, I was making good money uh, in my day-to-day -day job as a real estate broker. Uh, so I wasn't necessarily buying strictly for cash flow because as lots of people will find out with single family homes and very active markets, cash flow is very tough to come by when you're investing in single family homes. Uh, the yield just isn't there. Uh, so what I was doing is I was really investing for capital growth rather than cash flow, uh, which was okay for me because I had the high income coming in. So I wasn't starved for cash flow. So I was being pretty aggressive with, the capital growth side rather than so I would you could call the portfolio as it was being built cash flow neutral but I wasn't really looking for that monthly income um, the advantage I had was I had been selling this product for years I knew it intimately well because I was buying and selling it for for all of my clients and, in, and I knew the areas so that was one advantage I had uh, so whether it's uh, we did a duplex conversion uh, which was a, a great deal, adding a, an accessory apartment, a basement apartment. If you're doing a duplex, that is the best thing you can do. Your cash flow increases. Uh, you, you've got an extra tenant there. So if somebody moves out, you're only losing 50% of your revenue rather than 100%. Uh, so so that, that was really good. Um, actually, let's walk through one example. I, this might uh, be useful uh, for some of the listeners. So speaking of the yeah. duplex, we did the duplex. And we had increased the value through renovating it, adding the accessory apartment. The market had also increased. So what we did was we actually refinanced, the, refinanced that property and used those proceeds to go out and buy another property. So in, in that additional property, we had none of our own money. It was all the bank's money in it. And I think that's the beautiful thing with real estate is once you can really build yourself, add value in a deal, you can just use the bank's money and start acquiring another property and another one. But then the, the challenge you have with single family homes is you yourself have to qualify for the debt. And once you have more properties and let's say they're cash flow neutral or even a little bit cash flow positive, you just don't fit inside the lender's box anymore because, you know, especially in Canada, some lenders only let you use 75% of the rent you're generating to qualify. So with each additional property, you are digging yourself deeper and deeper into a hole, uh, like the qualification hole. So it, it didn't really make sense to scale long-term. 
Totally. And that's something that you listed a couple of reasons that, that affected me directly when I was first starting and building this, but it makes total sense that, well, just for all those reasons, economies of scale, better debt, less risk. You can actually um, have like systems in place that you couldn't have in a single family home. So all those things. So um, you do the first couple single family deals or smaller deals. And it, what I'm hearing from your example is you were doing well in your job and that was what was fueling this side hustle and this buildup of, of real estate on your own portfolio, which is interesting because I don't hear that many realtors or brokers actually end up ever buying anything. They're just mm -hmm. on one side of it, but that's not here or there. But I guess I just want to then jump into and talk about your first larger multifamily deal. Uh, a little yeah, bit of yeah. the, the backstage work that you did to feel ready to do it. And then the actual execution and implementation once you got that deal. So you mind just walking us through um, what you needed to do to feel comfortable or get educated enough to do that. And then how you found it, how you financed it, how you put it together. Yeah, for, for sure. So for, for me, uh, I, I basically had to start from ground zero again when I got back in. Um, because of a personal situation that wiped out the previous portfolio. <laughs> so um, so I, I was basically start, starting from zero dollars and like scratch again, uh, which I do not suggest. Worst, <laughs> worst thing you can do with real estate. Uh, so we can talk about that if you want to go into partnership agreements and stuff later on. I, I've got some stuff uh, for everybody. So um, I, I was sitting there thinking, you know, I've got my young son now. I, I don't have any real estate. I, I have no money left. You know, what, what can I do? Um, and I knew I wanted to get into multifamily deals uh, because that was that I, I knew that type of asset fit my goals. So I knew that was the way to do it, but I had no connections. I, I was a rookie in terms of multifamily deals. Uh, I, I, I knew the, I knew the theory of it, but I didn't have the practical experience. So one thing I did was I reached out to people and said, Hey, this is what I'm looking at doing. Uh, I see you're really successful at it. And then I just started talking with people. And, and then, you know, one gentleman, uh, you know, I, I, he helped me out. He kind of showed me the ropes. This is what you're doing. And the first deal I did was he actually brought me into one of his deals. So I, I raised some capital and I piggybacked on that deal. And that was the first one. It was uh, 278 units. Um, and, uh, it, it was great because you get to see the process in action. It's a very solid deal with the strong value add component and a great market. And, uh, it was, it was just, it was great. So I, I think when you're getting into larger scale multifamily deals, it takes a couple years before you start becoming what's called the key principal, get kind of the quarterback behind the scenes, because you have to build, uh, your reputation. And uh, obviously, you know, when you're working with a group of people who have been at it for a long time, your debt, your debt terms become a whole lot better and you just get access to things that you really wouldn't have access to before. So if anybody's looking at starting into the multifamily space and doing these larger uh, deals, definitely hook up with somebody who's already there and, uh, and learn from them. Uh, take part in a couple of their deals, get going, and, and you can really build your own real estate toolbox and you'll have all these tools that you can play with down the road. Couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. And I actually put something out right towards, I'd say, the, the tail end of the first like wave of COVID saying, this is probably the best time ever. I was just basically offering it up as like the same advice that I was doing that 
the next couple months might be the best time ever that you could shadow someone, mentor with someone, bring them value, or basically look at it like a summer internship if you have extra time with COVID. So I just want to get your perspective on that because then I, I had a lot of tangible ways that I think people can add value, but I'm curious to hear from you. Why do you think this person actually took the time to put you in the deal or uh, what value did you bring to them or what advice do you have for others on how to bring value or start that relationship? Yeah, well, I, I'll tell you what, if I could go back in time, I would have skipped uh, college. <laughs> I, I would have kept doing the hockey because I, I loved it, but uh, yeah, I would have skipped college and actually gone to work for an apartment company, whether it's uh, you know a smaller operation or a larger scale uh, reach or something like that that would have been the best thing I could have done because I would have, even if I was making peanuts in terms of salary, I, I, I could have learned so much in the first two years. And there are so many examples of guys who were working in private equity firms for let's say five years and then they leave, then they start their own firm and start taking down these large deals. You, you've already got the reputation. You, you've got the contacts. Now you've got that million, that billion dollar Rolodex, uh, if I could go back in time, that's hundred percent. Even if I'm just interning and making nothing, that, that would be the best thing I could do. So if somebody's out there, if they're, you know, maybe in their early twenties, you know, suck it up and take six months and don't make any money <laughs> and, and go actually work for free. And uh, you know, if, if I could go in a time machine, man, <laughs> things would be a whole lot different. Yeah. I, and it, that's exactly what I was kind of saying before. I just think it's, probably the best opportunity in general, but especially right now where people might be looking for help or they're leaning out or you just have extra time to do something like this that you could go ahead and do that. But I just think it's the smartest way. You can definitely cobble it together and you can put it, put two and two together from bigger pockets or YouTube. There's so much free information out there and great resources like the stuff you put out. But the operational learning you can get by being side by side with someone as they do it, as they talk to people, build relationships and that Rolodex, it's so hard to build up on your own comparatively. So that makes yeah. total sense. Yeah. And, and maybe an opportunity out there is there are a lot of people out there with solid businesses, but they're used to doing things, you know, face to face, the old school way. Uh, maybe you can bring in a fresh look with some social media background and experience, a different take on, you know, social marketing. And uh, you can really marry those two. I, I know a, a, a bunch of people where they've created these partnerships where you've got maybe the older guy with the gray hair and the, the young guy with the more, I guess, millennial marketing approach. And, and they hook up and, and it's really powerful because, you know, investors like having a little, a little bit of gray hair in a deal. And, uh, but then you actually have the, uh, the young youthful energy in there too. Totally. So bring us up to speed on where, what happened after that first deal and what oh year was that? And then, and then from, from high level of what, what that got you to today and where you are with your portfolio and your, your day-to-day -day investing strategy. Yeah, for, for sure. So, so right now uh, you can say I'm a GP in about 50 million of uh, multifamily real estate. So that's why I'm out on the multifamily side. Um, I, I'm, you know, one thing I found is a lot of the ultra successful people right now in the multifamily space, they all hit rock bottom at some point, you know, whether, you know, I've had interviews on my podcast, maybe you've had them on yours, you know, Rod Cleef uh, has his story about losing everything and then rebuilding. Um, and, and that's basically where I'm at right now uh, because I, I took a pretty solid financial hit 
um, because basically my previous portfolio just melted um, through my fingers. Uh, and uh, so right now I'm focused on, you know, raising capital, getting myself out there, putting out valuable content, building those connections, building those partnerships. And I, at some point, because my multifamily business is relatively new, it's only been going for about a year, let's say. Um, so, you know, I, I'm still in that startup growth phase where, you know, those strategic partner, partnerships are important. Uh, building new capital relationships is important. And uh, just, uh, just trying to get that velocity where I'm able to scale up. Because, you know, in 10 years, uh, my goal is to control a billion dollars of multifamily real estate. Um, I know people who are almost there. I know people who have, you know, exceeded that goal already. Uh, so I'm, I'm basically just modeling myself off of those successful people because there's no point in reinventing the wheel. Uh, if there's a system that works and it's being repeated by, let's say, 10 people, obviously it's, it's successful. Um, we're, and I always say, too, uh, is, you know, if, there, if real estate isn't working for you, it's not the real estate, it's you. Uh, so, so the real estate system works. It's just changing yourself and how to best, you know, apply the system and make yourself fit into it. Totally. So usually what, what I'd like to do now is go to a little bit of an adjustment to the show of doing either the most challenging deal or worst deal. But I, I just from based on what you said, as far as a challenge that you're either in the middle of now or kind of overcoming, uh, would you mind if we talk through some of your learnings on that? Yeah, for, for sure. Let's talk about partnership agreements. <laughs> and, and that's one that I think people, well, a lot of these listeners and, and our listeners have a lot of questions on that. Partnership agreements, uh, uh, equity splits, hard conversations. So uh, yeah, the floor is yours. Yeah. Uh, so my situation, I was building uh, my residential portfolio with a former romantic partner, let's call it. Um, and uh, we, we did not have a partnership agreement, which is mistake number one. Uh, because, you know, when, when you're in love and you have a child together, you think everything's rosy, um, but you don't think of worst case scenarios. So I, I'm everybody I talk to who's entering into some sort of real estate arrangement. I tell them my story uh, to, I guess, exemplify the fact that you do need a partnership agreement in case something goes wrong. Um, what, whether it's whether it's an arm's length person or somebody you're married to for 30 years, there are always bumps in the road. Um, you know, for, for ex in, in my case, what happened was we had these properties, and then all the money from the bank accounts disappeared one night. And, and then you have all these properties now and the mortgages are supposed to come out and somebody's taking all the money and then you have vacancies in these properties and then both people are on title. So both people need to sign the, a new lease. And if one person refuses to fill the vacancy, you find yourself in a really bad spot where there's no cushion. There's, you have all your reserves are gone and now your income has basically be dried up because you have vacancies and you're in a really, really bad spot. So whenever you're doing these partnership agreements, you have to think worst case scenarios. Is there some sort of shotgun clause? If, if uh, X and Y happens, then this comes into effect where automatically this has to happen. Um, if I could go back, I would definitely do this. I would have talked to a lawyer and said, hey, listen, this is what I'm looking at doing. How can I protect myself? Uh, because you never really know people change or situations change. Uh, one example could be, let's say 
you're, you acquire a duplex with somebody, a friend, but then five years down the road, uh, you know, they get really sick. So they now have cancer, they can't work. How is that going to affect the partnership? Is there a buyout clause where you're now able to exercise that and buy out their interest along a set of predefined terms? Right now, my approach to real estate is set up, set all the surprises up front. I would rather have an investor say, hey, you know, what's this? Like, explain this to me. I don't like this. And then you have a chance of explaining it before they even enter the deal rather than trying to figure out a solution to some catastrophic problem, you know, five years in when people's backs are against the wall. Maybe they lost their job and they needed the money. Does the partnership agreement allow for that or are they SOL and the money has to stay in the deal? Uh, figure all of, all of this stuff out up front. Uh, talk with a real estate lawyer who does partnership agreements um, and who has been around and who has seen, you know, poo hit the fan. Yes, <laughs> so. Totally. Yeah, just you need somebody to take the devil's advocate look at your deal and your uh, partnership and say, hey, you know, right now it's good. What can possibly go wrong? So I know why I haven't in the past engaged with a lawyer before a deal. And I can say they're all bad reasons. It's either I was too lazy or I didn't feel like spending the money or I felt like I did a good enough job betting this person. And I can say every time I've done that, it was a mistake. So I'm curious for you, tangible advice right now, someone listening to this and let's say they're doing their first four unit deal with a partner, very common scenario of a listener of this show. It's a $300,000 property. They're both going to bring money to the table, 50, 50. They're excited. They're ready to go, but maybe they're thinking, uh, there's not even a lot of meat on this bone of this deal. I'm just getting started. I don't know if I, I don't even know if I want to spend the money for a lawyer. I don't even know what lawyer to call. What's your advice to that person from a high level and then a tangible level? Like what call should they be making today that they have to make that are just non-negotiable? You have to do this. Doesn't matter how big or small the deal is just to protect yourself. Yeah. Well, you need to call a lawyer and say, this is what I want to do. What is the worst thing that can possibly happen to me? Because let, let's say something happens, you acquire the deal, then you find out before you sell it that there's some sort of environmental issue. And then all your profits evaporate because now you have to spend $40,000 to remediate the soil in the property. You know, now you're losing money. Who's going to shoulder the loss in the deal? The partnership agreement has to spell that out what happens. You know, what happens if there's a cash call? So you need an extra $100,000 of capital to get yourself out of that deal. Who has to bring the capital? Can you bring in a third partner? Does the partnership agreement allow for that? Or do you guys, or, or do the two partners have to bring the capital in? These are all things nobody thinks about unless they've been bitten uh, once or twice in a deal. Uh, you know, what, what happens if one uh, partner stops showing up and they disappear? Do you have a provision to forcefully remove them from the deal? Is it in there? Probably not. Um, so yeah, just talked with a lawyer who's seen bad things happen to good people because you know, what happens is both people enter into a real estate deal with good intentions, 99.9% .9 of the time it's good intentions. But what happens is situations change and now motivations change. Okay. So Seth, awesome stuff there. I think people can take a lot away from the fact that they need to go see a lawyer at any level and just ask those questions. 
even just to get smarter, you don't have to work with this lawyer, but you know what you need to do going to the next deal. So with that, you cool if we move to the rapid fire show wind down? Let's do it. All right, cool. Um, networking comes up on every episode. Any groups, coaching programs, masterminds, mentors you're part of or recommend or just any advice on that topic? Yeah, I actually run my own in-person meetup in the greater Toronto area for real estate. If anybody's listening from Canada, come check us out, the uh, Canadian Real Estate Investors. Um, and then also online, like there's so many different forums now, different YouTube channels, there's so much out there. Um, so yeah, just bigger pockets is one where you can, especially for beginners, uh, mm -hmm. there's some good, great resources out there. Cool. Definitely. Uh, time management. You are an entrepreneur and you create a lot of content. You also have a business. This is the question about time management and systems to plan your days, your weeks, do you batch activities. What's your view on that or advice to others? I'm a huge fan of time blocking. Uh, so for, for, I have like four different Google calendars I use that all sync up uh, because I, I've got my TV show. So I'll go in and spend one day filming like six episodes of my TV show. And then I'll batch my, uh, then I'll batch my podcast interview. So I might do four in, uh, podcasts in one day. And then I may spend one day filming like six different YouTube videos. I'm, my mind works where I want to focus on one thing only. Some people like to do one hour than one hour on something totally different. I would rather just power through, you know, in the TV studio filming six episodes and that way it's done. Um, but yeah, Google calendars, create different calendars for you, color code it and just block off those times. Love it. Okay. It's a good segue into the next question. Any favorite softwares or CRMs that you use to run your business? I'm a big fan of bomb bomb. Uh, because it allows you to uh, send video emails, all the trackings in there. I prefer doing videos because I find it a little bit more personal and then you get voice inflection and emphasis that you don't get in text. Uh, so BombBomb is great. And then, yeah, just any calendar on your phone. That's, uh, that's the best thing you can have. Just curious, anything for project management, anything like that or any specific CRMs or is Google Suite kind of that for you? Uh, Google Suite uh, Slack is really good too. Um, mm -hmm. I, I use Slack uh, with all my, you know, all the team members on the team just to keep everybody on the same page. So I, yeah. I would, my votes uh, for Slack for sure. Okay, cool. Uh, education is such a, such a big topic in the space of personal development or real estate. What are some of your favorite ways to stay educated and who are the, the people you like on those specific platforms? Yeah. Uh, I think the best way for me to get educated is actually hosting my podcast. <laughs> so, because I get to talk, you know, let's say somebody's running, you know, a, a $1.2 billion real estate operation. What's an hour of their time worth? Quite a bit. And now I get to talk with him for, you know, half an hour on my podcast. Then I get a chat after the podcast is done, yep. uh, which is sometimes a little bit, you know, better after. Uh, so okay. it's, uh, you know, I'm just, I just get to, I, I'm able to be exposed to so many interesting people. I've had guys from Australia on, on the show uh, and Great. you just find out different ways of doing business. So doing the podcast. Yeah. And then YouTube is amazing. I, I'm a big fan of YouTube and uh, there's some really amazing people on there uh, putting out some great content. Awesome. Moral of the story for anyone listening, create a YouTube channel or a podcast. You'll be amazed at the effects and the people you meet through that. So even that's how we got connected. So yeah, for sure. Uh, 
Any, any tips on time savers or virtual assistants or employees leverage, things like that? That's something we've been adding a lot. Now we have three full-time VAs and it's helped nice. us a lot, but anything for you? Yeah, hire a VA sooner. I, uh, I, I, I can tell you, as soon as I hired the first VA, it was a game changer. <laughs> because we all have tasks that either we don't want to do or we're not very good at. And then what usually happens, they don't get done because we would rather do things we like to do. Right. I, I should have figured out a long time ago that, you know, if I don't like to do it, just hire somebody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you know, most entrepreneurs I, I find, even, you know, beginner real estate investors, they all want to do everything on their own, but you're not really building a business because you have no systems. It's like, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Michael Gerber's E-Myth book, uh, which is a, I guess a classic now, you know, take yourself out of the business and create the system so everybody else can, can do their work and get yourself out of there. Totally. That's awesome. What's next for you? 2020 and beyond. 2020. Well, uh, hopefully I don't catch Corona. <laughs> so we're recording this in uh, July 3rd today, right? So, yep. uh, you know, hopefully Corona is done. I'm sick of hearing about it. I just got my haircut a couple of days ago. Uh, but yeah, no, right now it's just expanding. I, I want to really grow the podcast, grow the YouTube channel, keep putting out great uh, content out there, grow the TV show and uh, just you know, meet more investors, talk to more people about the benefits of multifamily real estate. And uh, I can't go wrong doing that. Totally. Uh, fun stuff, hobbies, any random interests, anything like that? Oh, for sure. Besides hockey, I'm a huge history nerd. So British military history. Um, and then I play the bagpipes, believe it or not. So yeah, so lot, lots of interesting stuff. I might need to see a picture or a YouTube video on that in your future. That is I, I, I may, I may, there may be some clips on YouTube. So, okay. I'm definitely going to be there after this. Uh, that's awesome. Where can people, what's the best way for people to learn more about you with so many places that you're posting and creating content? For sure. Uh, so you can go to sethferguson.org. Uh, that's my website. Don't go to .com. That's an evangelical preacher uh, named Seth Ferguson. Uh, or you can find me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Seth Ferguson. And uh, those are the best places to uh, reach me. Or if somebody wants to talk with me, just go to callseth.com and set up a quick 20-minute uh, phone call. Awesome. And that is how we first actually spoke. So Yeah, that's right. That's awesome. Uh, you answered the other question that I, that I usually ask, the second to last question, which is what would you tell your younger self? But you answered that. Uh, so we'll just go to the last question of the show, which is a value-add question. And you hear it so often that, um, people talk about you want to be a value add person or you should add value. So I'm curious, is there anything that someone could do for you to add value right now to start a relationship the right way with you or just general advice for people that are looking to connect with syndicators or GPs in the space? How can they add value to those type of people? Yeah, well, I think a lot of syndicators, like you can never run out of capital because we are in the capital raising business. So let's say right now you're working at your job and, uh, you know, your upper management or, you know, you have a, you have a good size income and lots of your, you know, associates have good income. Talk to them about real estate and then come into one of my deals. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's a great way to get your foot wet into multifamily real estate. You get a little bit of equity on the GP side. And uh, that's how a lot of people get started. So if you have a high net worth network, talk with them about real estate. And uh, there's, I, I don't know anybody in the capital racing space who doesn't want to raise more capital. So 
for sure. That definitely yeah. seems to be the reoccurring theme. Seth, I think we're good, man. I just want to say thank you for coming on. That was a great short and sweet episode. And I know we both have a lot going on. You got some stuff going on behind the scenes there. So um, I guess we'll just tie off there. Any last or parting word for the audience before we hop? Yeah. It's, stop thinking about doing real estate and just do it. Love it. Short and sweet. And uh, that's exactly what people need right now. So Seth, thank you so much again for coming on and everything that you do as far as content creation and value add and uh, all the best in 2020 and beyond. Look forward to seeing what you do. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. All right, man. Talk soon. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Do you want more? Then head to the Millennial Millionaires Through Real Estate Facebook group, where there are tons of step-by-step walkthroughs, tools, templates, and free networking to help you achieve financial freedom through real estate. And if you want Jonathan to help you personally reach your goals, then feel free to set up a one-on-one call in the link below or message him on any social media platform and apply to, well, work with Jonathan. 